So I'm going to read to you uh, from Luke chapter 15. Again, I want to say happy uh, Father's Day to all the dads are here. I'm going to share with you a lesson that I actually preached a couple weeks ago at a campus retreat because it applies perfectly, I think, to what we're celebrating today, and that is Father's Day. You know, Father's Day for many of us is a happy day. You know, we, we, we have had great relationships with our fathers. We love our dads. And it's just a great reminder of the great sacrifices and love that, that our fathers have shown for us. But for many of us, Father's Day can be a sad day. Because Father's Day may remind us of maybe a poor relationship that we've had. Or maybe no relationship at all. Maybe your father wasn't a great example to you. Maybe your father was abusive. Maybe you don't even know who your father is. And so... We, we can get a wide range of emotions on Father's Day. And so I, I, I would like to encourage you, you know, this is what's beautiful about the church, is that God has given us men, spiritual men in our lives, that are not our fathers, because no one will take the place of our, our father, but they're like fathers to us. Men who have come in, who have loved us, who have taken care of us, who have watched over us. And so I would encourage you today... As, you, as we are celebrating Father's Day, that if there is a man in your life who's been like a father to you here in the church, to take some time today to say thank you to them as well. To pull them aside and say, you know, you've been like a spiritual dad to me. That's God's plan. That's why God puts us in the church. That's why it baffles me when people say, well, I'm a Christian, but I don't want to have anything to do with the church. You can't do that. God has designed the church to help us and to take care of us and to love us. You know, so many of us, uh, our, our, our view of God, whether we realize it or not, has been sculpted by our relationship with our earthly father. For many of us, we read about how great God is in the Bible, but we have a hard time with it because we may have had a bad father on this planet. And so we say, yeah, I understand in my mind how this works, but all I can see is my own earthly father... And because of that, sometimes we have a hard time connecting to God as our Heavenly Father. So I would encourage you today, as we open the Scriptures and we look at God as our Heavenly Father, I would encourage you to set aside your preconceived ideas about what God is. And maybe set aside what you think a Father is. And let God's Word sculpt what our Heavenly Father really is like to you and to me. You know, for many of us, and I've seen this in my life, and I've seen this as I've helped people to be Christians and to stay Christians, so many of us, we do have preconceived ideas of God. And so we have trouble because often we hear about God or we read about God, but he doesn't really fit into the box in our head. You know what I'm saying? We're like, well, that doesn't make sense because God's supposed to be this way, and I thought God was supposed to be this way. And we read the Bible and we find out, what God really is like, and we have a hard time with it. But the problem isn't the Bible. The problem is our, is our own preconceived ideas. Listen, God doesn't fit in your box. He never will. So you and I have to humble ourselves and to let the Word of God sculpt our idea and our vision of what God the Father really looks like. That's what we're going to look at today. Listen as I read to you the parable of the lost son in Luke chapter 15. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. 
The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, set off for a distant country, and squandered his wealth in wild living. After he spent everything... There was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went out and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who, he, who, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses... He said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. So I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to to the servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and let's kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard the music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and he asked, what was going on? Your brother has come home, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I have been slaving for you And never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a young goat so so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad. Because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is a parable that Jesus told about a father and his two sons. Often we read this and we think that the main character of this story is that lost son or the prodigal son as we call him sometimes. This boy who goes out, comes to his senses and comes home. But the truth is, the truth is I think the main character isn't either of the boys. The main character is the father. You see, when we look at this father, this father in this parable represents whom? God. 
And so today on Father's Day, let's take a look at this father and let's learn a little bit more about our father in heaven. And again, let's set aside our preconceived ideas. God doesn't fit in your box. Let's put the box aside and for a moment, let's let the Bible sculpt our vision, our idea of who God really is. The first thing that we learn about God from this parable, the God is our father, is this. God gives. God gives. Look back verse 11, at verse 11 and 12. It says, there was a young man who had... There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he, the father, divided his property between them. One of the first things that we learn about God from this parable, about the father and about God, is that he gives. He's a giver. Now, I'm a father. Many of you are fathers. I don't know that I would have handled this scenario the same way that the father handled it. My child showed up and said to me, Father, give me what is owed to me. I would say, oh, I will give you what is owed to you. I'll give you what's coming your way. You know, that's probably how many of us, if we're approached by our child with that attitude... Probably one of the last things we're going to do is what the father does. The father says, okay, here. What do we learn about our heavenly father? Is that our heavenly father gives. This is one of the basic qualities of God. God is a giver. You can't be like God And be stingy. Because God gives. And this is a theme. Excuse me. This is a theme we see all throughout the scriptures. Listen to some of these scriptures. God, the Bible says, gives faith. Romans 12, verse 3. God gives encouragement and endurance. Romans 15, verse 5. God gives honor. 1 Corinthians 12, 24. God gives the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2, 12. 2 Corinthians 5, 5. Romans 5, 5. Galatians 5. 1 Thessalonians 4, 8. God gives victory. 1 Corinthians 15, 57. God gives grace. 1 Corinthians 1, 4. 2 Corinthians 8, 1. 2 Corinthians 9, 14. Ephesians 1, 6. Ephesians 3, 7. God gives Help. Ephesians chapter 1, verse, uh, I'm sorry, Philippians chapter 1, verse 19. God gives himself. Ephesians 5, 25. 1 Timothy 2, 6. Titus 2, 4. God gives the light of knowledge. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. God gives strength. Philippians 4, 13. 1 Timothy 1, 12. God gives wisdom. James chapter 1, verse 5. 2 Peter 3, verse 15. God gives authority. 2 Corinthians 13, 10. God gives life to everything. 1 Timothy 6, verse 13. God gave his one and only son. John 3, 16. God gives the ministry of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5, 18. God gives us 
everything we need for life and godliness. 2 Peter 1.3. My point is this. God is a giver. He gives. He gives. And he gives. Over and over and over. So my question for you this morning on Father's Day is this. What is your picture of God? Do you picture God as stingy? Grumpy, distant, cold, selfish, angry, then you've got the wrong picture of God. God is a giver. The boy came up and said, give me what's mine. And the father said, okay. He gave. God gives. You know, giving is powerful, isn't it? It's powerful. As Elliot mentioned last week, for our special contribution, we gave, as of right now, the total is $94,846. This group right here, almost $95,000. That is amazing. I wasn't here. I gave, but I gave from a distance. But I wasn't here, and I heard about it, and I was so inspired by you. Why? Because giving is inspiring. Isn't it? Giving is encouraging. Now, just one more correction. It didn't, we weren't fundraising for Hope Worldwide, as our brother Elliot mentioned earlier. We were actually giving to our missions contributions to help various ministries around the world. Just a point of clarification. But the point is, is this. When we give, it's inspiring, man. Isn't it? That's who God is. God gives. He's not a taker. He's not selfish. He's a giver. God gives. He wants to give. That's what God does. It's a basic quality of God. So many of us, we spend time thinking about what we don't have. God has given us so much, and all we do sometimes is sit around what we don't have. And that's why gratitude is so powerful, because it forces us to remember that God is a giver. Instead of sitting around thinking about all the stuff you don't have, if we take some time and remember about all the stuff we do have and all the things that God has given us, all of a sudden our hearts become grateful. And we go, that's right, God is a giver. Does it mean we should stop asking God for stuff? No. Actually, the Bible tells us we should ask God. We should. We absolutely should. But Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 says we should ask God with thanksgiving. So when you ask, you ask with thanksgiving. God, thank you. Thank you for what you have done for us. Here is another thing that I'm asking for. So absolutely we ask because God is a giver. But we ask with the right heart. We ask with thanksgiving. God gives. Romans 8.32, it says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? God gives. What else do we learn about God the Father? Not only does God give, but we also learn about the Father, about our Heavenly Father, is that God runs. 
God gives and God runs. Look back in our text here. Verse verse 19, the young man comes to his senses and he says, I'm no longer, he goes to his father or he's thinking, I'm going to go to my father. and I'm going to say, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he, he comes to his senses and he comes up with his plan. I'm going to go to the father and I'm just going to let ask him if I can be an employee. That's all. And so he gets up, verse 20, and goes to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion and did what? Sat on the porch with his arms crossed and said, boy, what are you doing? Is that what he did? No. The dad ran. The dad ran. Not the boy. The dad. The dad ran. In fact, the boy barely even got anything out of his mouth. The dad was like, I don't care. Get get this boy a ring. Get him some sandals. Get him a robe. Get the big fat calf. Come on. Let's have a party for this boy. Why? Because God gives and God runs. What was God prompted by? It says right there. What prompted the father? Compassion. The father saw the son and he was filled with compassion and he ran. And his compassion led to a party. You know, in order to really appreciate our salvation... In order to really appreciate the reconciliation we are, are, are given through Jesus, in order to really appreciate that, we gotta let God run to us. We gotta let God run to us. Listen, it is not your talent that saves you. It is not your good looks. And you're attractive. And you're a good looking. But it's not your good looks. It is not your strength. It is not your awesomeness. It's not your effort. It's not that you've somehow earned your spot on God's roster. The reason you get saved is because God runs to you. God comes to you. He comes to you. It's his idea. He looks at you and me and he goes, I want you. Yeah, but God, I don't care. I want you. God runs. Romans 9:16 says it this way. It does not therefore depend on man's desire or effort, but on God's mercy. Let me read that again. Romans 9:16, it does not therefore depend on man's desire or effort. What does it depend on? It depends on God's mercy. God runs. Does that mean we do nothing? Of course not. You need to come to your senses and you need to get up and you need to turn yourself in. You got to humble yourself. But even that's not what earns you a spot with the Lord. It's God running to us. I was talking to Chanel the other day and she said I could share this story. We were talking about her niece, Alexis, who just got baptized last Sunday, right? It's amazing. It was inspiring, but we're talking about Chanel, and Chanel's like, yeah, that was just God. I said, really? She goes, yeah, I mean, Chanel just recently, if you remember, was recently restored to her relationship with God. She And so a couple months ago, she was working on getting her relationship with God, right, after she had left for a period of time. She was in the process of being restored 
right? She was going through her thing. Her niece came up to her and said, hey, I want to go to church. And she's like, all right, cool. And she came. That was it. It wasn't Chanel's great, amazing plans. In fact, Chanel, and again, she said I could share this. She was in the midst of her own stuff. But even though she was going through her own thing, God's like, I don't have time for you to get all your stuff together. We got people to save. Now, you need to get yourself together too, but we got people to save. So even in the midst of her weakness, God still used her to save her niece. You know, you just sit back and go, who did that? Chanel? No. Alexis? No. God! That's God, man. That's God running to us. Sometimes I think we get in the way. God wants to run. And we're like, well, hold on, God. I'm not quite. No! God's like, I got to go. I got some people to save. I got the world to change. We're like, I don't know, God. No, let's go. It doesn't depend on you and me. It depends on God and his effort. The Greek word in Luke chapter 15 that's translated run, when the father ran, is the same Greek word that's translated in Romans 9 that I just read, that's effort. So the same word, so basically what it's saying to us, it's not your running, it's God's running. That's what it's teaching. It's not about you and your ability to run to God, it's about God's ability to run to you. That's what saves you. Where in your life do you need to let God be God? Where in your life do you need to surrender? Where in your life do you need to break? Where in your life do you need to be humble and just throw up your hands and say, God, I just need you to be God. Like Ashton was saying earlier, God, I need you to not only take care of your part of the agreement, but I need you to take care of my part of the agreement too. I need you to do the whole thing, God. That's God running to us. That's God coming to us. 1 John chapter 4, verse 16 says it so well. It says, and, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. What is it that we know? What is it that we rely on? What is it that we count on? Our great love for God? No. No, because I don't know about you, but my love for God goes up and down with the days. Some days it's strong. Some days it's weak. Some days I'm doing great. Some days I'm doing terrible. It goes up and down. Thank God that our relationship doesn't rely on my love for God. No, our this whole thing relies on the love God has for us. It's the other way around. God runs to us. God gives. God runs. And the last thing I want to point out from this passage that we learn about our Heavenly Father is that God pleads. He pleads. Look back in verse 28 of this text. Luke chapter 15, verse 28. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so the father went out and did what? said, what's wrong with you, boy? Come on, get back. What is wrong? Is that what the father did? No. The Bible says the father went out and pleaded. He pleaded. Listen, here's a young man who has zero redeeming qualities. 
in this story. I mean, maybe he's a nice guy otherwise, but in this passage, all we know, there is nothing redeeming about him. Even the story ends with him being hard-hearted. I mean, we don't even know how the story ends. It just ends abruptly, right? We don't know. As far as we know, the sun may still be out there to this day. He's still out there mad, but we know this guy has no redeeming qualities. But the father goes to him, goes out to him. And now he goes out to him, but the Bible says he pleads with him. I don't know about you, but that makes me a little uncomfortable about God. I don't like to think of God as a pleading father. I don't like to think of God as someone who pleads, especially with the created, right? He's the creator and we are the created. I don't like the idea of him doing the pleading. There's a brother in our church in the Long Island ministry. He is a judge in, in New York State. He is a, actually a New York, New York Supreme Court justice. Maybe some of you know him. New York Supreme Court is the second highest court in the state of New York. There's only one court above that, and that's the Court of Appeals. But he is a New York State Supreme Court justice. It's a pretty powerful man, and he's a brother in the Lord, in the church. And one time I was having lunch with this brother, and he and I was meeting him at his courthouse. And I got there a little bit early, so he invited me to come in. He, uh, they let me come in and sit in his courtroom. So I was watching him work as he was closing out a case. And he brought before him a man. The, the police officers brought this guy in. I can't remember. I think he was in handcuffs. I don't remember. But he came before our brother, who is the judge, stood before his bench. And he just began to plead. He began to plead with the judge. He's like, your honor, please, your honor, your honor, you don't understand. And I don't even remember the details of the case. I, I don't even remember. But I was just moved. And I just remember vividly watching one man plead desperately in front of another man. Pleading. Please, your honor, please, please give me a break. Please help me. Please. And again, I don't remember the details. All I remember is the brother, the judge, who's our brother, he handled it incredibly well. He did his job that he was supposed to do, but he treated the man with incredible integrity and respect. He spoke to him respectfully, and he did whatever it was he had to do. And I don't even know what all happened. He, he handled it exactly that way I would hope that a brother in the Lord would handle it if he was in that situation. And then the man was taken off. And I thought about that. I thought, that, that's an uncomfortable situation to watch one man plead before another man. And when you look at that scenario, it's easy to go, well, okay, in that scenario, the judge is like God, right? And we are all like that man being brought before the Lord. And we plead, God, you know, please have mercy on me. Please, God, you know, uh, help me. Take care. And, and, you know, I'm comfortable with that scenario. But what this is teaching us is that the exact opposite is true. That the one in that scenario doing the pleading isn't, isn't me pleading with God. It's the other way around. God pleading with us. Like we are this older brother and God says, please, please love me. Please come in. Please take a look at all that I have for you. Please see the good here. Please. And 
And that makes me uncomfortable. But that's what the Bible's teaching. That's the father we have. One who pleads with us. One who's not afraid to say to us, Listen, I want you. I'm desperate for you. I need you. God's not afraid or too insecure or too weak to be desperate for you. That's what he wants. Are you responding to his pleas? Are you responding to his desire to connect to you? That's our father. He's pleading with you to come to him. We get it backwards. Listen to this verse in 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. 1 John 4, verse 10, it says, This is love. Okay, you ready? Here it goes. Here's the definition of love. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. You see, right there in the definition, did you catch that? Here's love. The very first thing it says, here's what love is. Not that you love God, but that he loved you. Sometimes I think we get in our minds that, that, you know, that God is up there and he's got his arms crossed and he's like, I don't know. Let's think about this for a minute. And we're down going, God, please love me, please, please love me, God, please love me, please. And God's like, I don't know. I'll think about it. Maybe, please, God, love me. But what this scripture teaches us is the exact opposite. That we're the ones with our arms crossed going, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to follow this God or love this Jesus. I don't know. And God is going, please, please, I'll send you my son. I'll sacrifice the most. Please, please. This is love. Not that you love God, but that God loved you. That's the definition of love. That's amazing. That's amazing. I told you, you got to get rid of the box, right? You got to smash the box that you put God in. He doesn't fit in your boxes. He doesn't fit in my boxes. We got to embrace God for who he really is. You know, God, our Father, is amazing. He gives and he runs and he pleads. And I would encourage you to dive into the Bible, to not just take my word for it, but to study the scriptures, to look at God, to work, do the mental work to get rid of your preconceived ideas about God and let God sculpt you. Maybe this is new to you. That's okay. Let us teach you the Bible. Ask, say, hey, can someone teach me the Bible? The answer is yes. Yes, we can teach you the Bible. But maybe this is not new to you. Maybe you've gone back and you've grabbed onto some of your old archaic ideas of God, like the Zeus in the sky who's waiting to wipe you out. Come on, man. Get rid of that stuff. Hold on to who God really is. Let go of your preconceived ideas and let the Bible sculpt your picture of God. My point is this. You are a source of immense joy for God. You are a source of immense joy for God. To illustrate that, I want to close out with a video. I have a three-minute video that I want to show you. 
This is a video. Let me give you a little background before we start this video. This is a video about a, a, is done by a guy named, thank you, the lights are back up. Alex Game is his name. Alex is a Norwegian who, in 2011 and 2012, went to Antarctica and then walked to the South Pole by himself. So this video you're going to see is of him, and he's the only one there. He's taking video of himself. And part of his strategy as he walked to the South Pole is every two days he would stop and bury some of his food in the ground. And then we'd plant a flag. And the idea was that after he got to the South Pole, when he came back, there would be food for him at strategic points. And he would have something to eat. And also it would help pr provide him with incentive as he was returning, knowing that he would probably be tired. And so in this video, he has actually already been to the South Pole, and he's now returning. This is day 86 of his adventure, almost three months. He has lost 55 pounds at this point. And he's coming up on his last stash of cheese doodles, all right? And he doesn't remember because he says in a later interview that he didn't remember what was in there. He just knew there was food there and he didn't remember what it was. So watch him as he's video, videoing himself. Watch him as he's uncovering this last little bit of food. And here's the thing. None of this is in English, all right? You don't have to, but here's the beauty of it. You don't have to speak his language to understand what's going on here. Let's take a look at this video. Oh, Har jeg det vel lagt inn dette her? 
Ja, sikkert på gulvet tenkte jeg prøvde å spart vekk da. Det er jo ikke mulig. Her? Her er mentos. Her er ost. Jeg lagte igjen alt her som jeg burde ha lagt igjen på det neste depået. Ja, ost. Herregud! Og det var det da. Nei! Det er illustration is this God was that guy and you are the cheese doodles you are a source of immense joy for God God gives God runs God pleads happy Father's Day thank you